everyone. Welcome to the Mass Podcast for Mental Agility. I'm your host, Jen Dillon, and on today's episode, I'm going to give a brief introduction to the series Maths for Maths, Mental Agility for Forensic Scientists, brought to you by the Midwestern Association of Forensic Scientists. Originally, my intention was to get this podcast out to listeners before the fall meeting. There are many reasons why that didn't happen, but today I'd like to break the ice by talking about one mental pattern that kept me from taking the leap, vulnerability. I enjoy teaching and speaking from the heart tremendously, but there's a connection and energy in the room when I'm with other people that puts me at ease. I'm currently sitting alone in my office, and I have no idea if or when I'll connect with any of you, which requires a lot of vulnerability on my part. So my friends, this has been an exercise in mental agility for myself. Leaning into discomfort is a skill that I've learned along the way in the development of my own mindfulness practice, and I recognize there's no place for growth if we hang out in our comfort zone. As my favorite author, Brene Brown, says, we can choose courage or we can choose comfort, but we can't have both, not at the same time. As I procrastinated, I recalled a bit of advice I was given from my teacher when I was learning how to present a theme in a yoga class. He said it might feel extremely awkward to drop a message right in the beginning of class, as if whatever you have to say is coming out of left field. What you have to remember is that the table has already been set. The type of people showing up are already expecting a meaningful message, and the longer you take to introduce it, the harder it will become until it becomes an impossible task. Of course, it isn't truly impossible, but it is in our mind. So with that said, I'll recognize that those of you who have showed up are ready to hear the message, and I'll get right to it. The purpose of this program is to provide a platform in which we can develop a set of skills which will cultivate resiliency and sustainability in the workforce. Those of us who have spent any length of time in our field can recognize that we deal with a certain amount of stress. There are court dates and public safety threats, backlogs looming with our administration keeping an eye on metrics. There is a pressure of working in an environment where mistakes can have huge effects on people's lives and where every bit of our work is reviewed by someone else. All of this without mentioning the fact that we are working in a crime lab subjected to reports, images, and items of evidence directly related to crimes. How are we decompressing from all of this? How are we taking care of ourselves to avoid vicarious trauma and burnout? What resources do we have to mitigate it if we are already experiencing this stress? It amazed me that many people told me they had to get special permission to attend the workshop I co-instructed with Amy Jean-Guinat at the fall meeting. The title of the workshop was Serenity Now, How to Thrive Instead of Survive in the Field of Forensic Science. How could a manager not want to send their employees to a workshop focused on career sustainability? But this is what we are up against. Hopefully, we can all create a community that includes both scientists and managers as a place where we can connect with the common goal of producing a healthier and more productive work environment. The rest of this episode will focus on some of the key concepts presented at that workshop and ways in which we can apply them in our day-to-day work activities. If you are unable to attend the workshop, this will build a foundation from which to grow an understanding and appreciation for mental agility. Future content of this podcast will focus more on conversations with thought leaders, both peers and experts, who are dedicated to bringing awareness to this topic by sharing their experiences and knowledge. Let's get started. Let's talk about the science of stress. We have an autonomic nervous system, right, which is responsible for our physiological processing, and it's outside of our awareness, meaning it's automatic, it's happening all of the time, and we don't really have to think about it. Um, These will include things like our heartbeat, digestion, secretion of hormones. There are two branches within the autonomic nervous system. One is the sympathetic nervous system. That's sometimes referred to as the fight or flight. We're being focused. We're usually taking action. 
Then there's the parasympathetic nervous system, which is referred to as the rest and digest mode. It's experiencing a healing process in the body, and it's activated actually every time we exhale. And conversely, the sympathetic nervous system is activated each time we inhale. And so that's why, especially if you are talking about a yoga practice or any type of calming, relaxation, meditation, um, breathing becomes very important in regulating these two branches of the nervous system. They complement one another. We can also talk about the window of tolerance. This is a model that was designed by Dan Siegel. And essentially, you can think about when you feel comfortable in your body, when you feel present, you are experiencing a regulated, healthy autonomic nervous system. So our body kind of flows between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems when we're in this normal range, right? So this window of tolerance. So our goal in life would be to stay within the window of tolerance, right? But sometimes we experience stress and agitation, and so our body will react in such a way that we disrupt this healthy flow. And so we maybe go outside of the window of tolerance, and this would be called dysregulation. Sometimes we go above the window of tolerance and we experience hyperactivity. We might refer to this as experiencing anxiety or having panic attacks, increased shallow breathing, right? So this is hyper turning on our sympathetic nervous system. This is the fight or flight. We can also get stuck on dysregulation going below the window of tolerance, and that's going to be hypoactivity. We experience this as depression, disconnection, being lethargic, you know, really feeling low. Both of these are going to be dysregulation. The goal for us to maintain a healthy autonomic nervous system is to shorten the amount of time that we're in these dysregulated states and increase our window of tolerance. Make that window of tolerance bigger so that when we do experience a traumatic shock and disrupt the flow, we have a a wider range in which we can handle things, right? So this is ultimately really the goal of building mental agility. This is increasing this window of tolerance. One of the ways that we can increase our window of tolerance is to learn how to stimulate our vagus nerve. The vagus nerve serves as the body's information sharing system between the brain and the internal organs. It controls the body's response in times of rest and relaxation. The vagus nerve is thus responsible for what we call the mind-body connection, and our goal in a mindfulness practice will be to learn how to activate this nerve more often. In a state of mental calmness, the nerve will send commands to the body to decrease the heart rate, decrease the breathing rate, lower blood pressure, and increase digestion. So again, how do we learn to activate this vagus nerve more often so that we can experience a state of equanimity? So we'll move forward and talk about some resiliency techniques that will stimulate this nerve. There are many resiliency techniques that we can get into, um, one of them being gentle movement, connecting the breath to the body and mind, such as in the practice of yoga. We'll talk today about developing a, a positive mindset, talking a little bit about the thoughts that are occurring in our head on a daily basis, what our mental patterns are, and how we can improve those mental patterns and habits to build some resiliency. And hopefully then we can apply those to not only our outside lives, but the workplace as well. 
It's important to know that any practice that we pick up is going to start with the awareness that we're working on ourselves first and foremost. We're not trying to change our external environment. So if some of us are sitting at work right now thinking, yeah, how do I change my coworkers so that they can experience more states of calmness and it'll make it easier for me to get along with them? That's not the attitude that we're approaching this topic from. We need to change ourselves and through example, others may see the changes um, and those changes will probably be really slow. And the process will probably be really difficult and we'll probably experience some frustration in changing ourselves. You know, we think about how difficult it is to change one single habit. Maybe it's diet or exercise, cleaning of the house, you know, keeping ourselves organized, financial states, all of these things that we try, right? It's the new year. We start all these resolutions Think about how difficult it is to actually change something and changing ourselves is going to be the exact same. Developing this pattern is going to be a process. So we approach it with a state of non-judgmental kindness to ourselves, right? And we allow ourselves to move slowly through the process, starting with the awareness, the awareness that we want to change our mental patterns and that we will move in that direction. And hopefully by moving in that direction, we will establish a um, an example for other people. And they might ask questions. Hey, I've noticed a shift in your personality or the way that you're responding to things. Hey, that would normally really stress you out. You know, a, a court date, for example, but you seem to be handling it really well. What's going on? What techniques are working for you? Let's talk about states of, of mindsets, right? Um, there, are, there are two different mindsets that we can be in. One of them would be a fixed mindset. The fixed mindset is thinking about things that we experience and approaching it with an attitude of, this is happening to me, right? So you get a subpoena and you're like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this to me. They're calling me to court on a Monday morning. That's a fixed mindset. That is developing a sense of victimization, right? Um, and it's really natural to do. Many of us do it quite often. And we can think about different times in our lives and in our work situations where we do allow this to happen. So think about, you know, tech reviews. When we receive tech reviews back, it's like, why are you picking on me, right? So this is a fixed mindset. The opposite of a fixed mindset would be a growth mindset. The growth mindset is one in which an experience happens, not to you, but it happens and you explore it, you feel it, you move through it, you experience something, it doesn't experience you, if that makes sense. Think about times in which you might live in that type of mindset because we don't really have one or the other. We, we typically as humans will move through, you know, depending on what else is going on in our lives and where we're at specifically that day, uh, we may be more prone to experience one mindset, mindset much more often than the other. So if I'm experiencing a growth mindset or approaching things from a growth mindset, then I'll be saying things to myself like, yeah, this is difficult, but what an opportunity for which to grow. This is uncomfortable, but I know that being in a place of discomfort is the only place in which change can occur. So this is like finding our mental edge, right? This place where we're like, okay, I've reached the edge. 
I can build on from here. This is where I grow and I expand. So seeing something not as a setback, but as a set up for something new, that would be a growth mindset. So just take a moment, you know, a practice that we can do on a daily basis is to write down every day, you know, make two columns, fixed mindset and growth mindset. What experiences did I have today and which mindset did I approach it from? Make a list and maybe we start to develop, you know, physically start to see by the length of the column in each section, which mindset we are in by default and then start to shift. So again, we want to create this this awareness as we become more aware of, hey, I'm really living in this victimized state a lot of the time. I don't like that and I'd like to move out of it. Then we can catch ourselves in the moment. So that leads us into a topic that I like to call thought watching, which is becoming more aware of the thoughts that we're having inside of our head. So mindfulness really is this ability to bring awareness to our present action. So what are we thinking, feeling, sensing without being under the control of all of those things, right? So we can have emotions without being emotional. We can train the mind to eliminate Uh, some of the thoughts in our head that might be a little bit more negative and promote more positive. Remember that all change begins with a thought. So the thoughts that are in our heads, the mental patterns that we already have, they're very, very instrumental in the actions that we end up producing. One thing that I learned that I thought was just kind of wild is a study from Stanford University stating that we have about 60,000 thoughts a day, 60,000 thoughts a day. And of those thoughts, 90% of them are repetitive. So that means we get into these mental patterns, right? And every day we might kind of get stuck thinking about some of the same things. Many times what we're thinking about are things that are stuck in the past and things that might occur in the future, right? So this is the crux of mindfulness. We are physically in the present. Our body is in the present, but where's our mind? Our mind is ruminating on the past and being anxious about the future. That's actually the the nature of the mind. The mind, I like to think of as a four-year-old kid wandering around. It's got no dimension, no no desire to, you know, have, it's not goal oriented. It's just kind of all over the place running around on the playground, right? And it'll take you up and down and all around. And that is the roller coaster of the mind. What are those thought patterns that we have? Again, starting to self-reflect, starting to think about what are our repetitive thought patterns. Um, by the way, of those 90 percent repetitive patterns, 85% of those were shown to be negative. That's just the default mechanism of most humans is that our thoughts are not necessarily positive. So let's start paying attention to what is going on, that voice that's inside of our head. um, And let's start thinking, noticing what we're actually doing when we engage in those thoughts. So Eckhart Tolle said, observe your thoughts, but don't believe them. This is important. Uh, Just because we have thoughts doesn't mean that they're fact. They're definitely not fact. It's our mind. Remember, it's a four-year-old kind of gossiping to us, right? Um, We don't have to engage in any of those thoughts. We can do what I call thought watching, which is just observe the thoughts as they come and go and then leave them be. 
let them pass like a cloud in the sky. There's nothing that says we have to catch each thought and ruminate on every single one. And what we do want to cultivate is this ability to observe the thoughts and catch the good ones. Find the ones that are serving us, the ones that are part of that positive growth mindset, the ones that will help us to to reach a state of resiliency, right? That's the ultimate goal. And let go of the others. So catch a thought, say this one, eh, this isn't good for me. Getting a tech review back and thinking of, you know, how snarky that person was, that's not doing anyone any good. That's causing me stress. That's turning on my sympathetic nervous system. That's increasing blood pressure, increasing my breath rate. Calming down is something I'm much more interested in. So that thought is not going to be something that I want to hold on to. And believe me, just because I practice these techniques doesn't mean that I'm necessarily good at these techniques. Some of these techniques we'll find are easier to practice on some days versus others. Some are easier to practice in my personal life versus at work, right? So this is all this, this self-compassion component of a mindfulness practice. So we want to watch for when we go down the rabbit hole right? That's what can happen if you catch a negative thought and then you hold onto it and then you start feeding that negative thought. You go down the rabbit hole. I've been there many, many times. Um, I deal with anxiety. And one of my favorite examples of how I went down the rabbit hole would be a time I was in a car with a good friend of mine. And I saw this man acting really erratically on the side of the road. It was a, a busy intersection and he was kind of pacing frantically and arms up in the air and talking to himself. And a normal uh, individual may have seen this person and thought he's, you know, perhaps not all there. Uh, I immediately decided as the dog lover that I am that he probably lost his dog and the dog ran out into the street. And I quite literally started explaining to my friend about how there's a dog and we have to find it and I didn't want to lose the dog. It was It's hilarious to think of now, but I really, I put myself, I was near panic attack and, and I created this animal, right? The man wasn't carrying a leash, anything that would make me, you know, lead to signs that he actually had a dog. In fact, I think he had an umbrella in his hand. This is the rabbit hole. This is just where you jump into your thoughts and you go down the spiraling land of craziness, right? Thinking Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole. We don't want to live in that world where we are just thrown and controlled by our emotions. So the goal is to learn to watch the thoughts, simply observe them, no need to believe them, and let them go if we determine that it's not going to serve us. So if we, for example, tend to have an internal dialogue that's, you know, I'm stressed out and I hate this feeling, I don't enjoy this, right? If this is the self-talk, maybe start catching those thoughts and start saying things internally like, all right, I'm watching these stressful thoughts come into my head. I wonder where they're coming from. I wonder what's causing the stressful thought right? Or I feel anxious. This is awful and I can't get away from it. I'm stuck, right? Victimizing mindset. This is the fixed mindset. So maybe we can turn that around and say, I notice anxiety. I feel it in my chest. I can accept that I'm having an anxious moment. Let's see what we can do about it. I know if I breathe slowly 
that I can turn on my parasympathetic nervous system via the vagus nerve, right? I can approach this a little bit more mindfully. I'm not my anxiety. I'm just feeling an anxious moment. There's a big difference. That is not victimizing. So learning to watch our thoughts. It's a good skill. Let's try to practice it. That's it for today's episode of Mental Agility for Forensic Scientists. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can keep the conversation going by connecting with me at jdillon4n6 at gmail.com. That's J-D-I-L-L-O-N-4-N-6 at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, and namaste. Namaste.